0: What's up, guys? We are back with another episode of the Player to Prospect podcast. This episode, we're talking with Dan Tischler. He is the associate head coach at Columbia University, right smack dab in New York City, New York. He's actually born a mile from the campus, I think, which is insane. It's almost like he was built for the job. I mean, besides them being an amazing university in the academic side of it, um, They're also a pretty dang good baseball team, too, and you got to be more than just a smarty pants to be on this team, so I really hope you guys enjoy the episode. I enjoyed the conversation a ton, and you even get some pizza recommendations at the end, so bonus, but yeah, without further ado, let's get to this episode with Dan Tischler. I mean, frankly, that's what recruiting coordinators do. You guys, I've at least sort of seen like some guys really have it down like they have the the pitch they have everything sort of just like calculated so in the way they present things
1: it's funny that you mentioned the thing about rooting for Penn in the regional and you know I'm I'm happy for their success but yeah I wasn't rooting for them to win the whole thing because part of my recruiting spiel like when I have a family on campus is like hey we've come really close in the past um you know we have mm. X, Y, and Z going for us. And we're, we're going to be the first Ivy league program to win a regional. We're going to be the first Ivy league program to make it to a super. So mm. on Monday, you know, it was nut cutting time for my statement as far as trying to, yeah. try to let that be true. And oh uh, my I have the opportunity to use that in, in my recruiting speech.
0: Yeah, that was, <laughs> I mean, I would yeah, I watched it too. I mean, that was, that was nuts. Um
1: Right. Hey, it was good.
0: good yeah. Baseball. But yeah, that's, I, I love seeing that though, too, especially to, not power five teams in a regional yeah battling it out i mean it's
1: great and it's it's good for the game um yeah it's good that people recognize how good our brand of baseball is you know within the Ivy League and and in the northeast but you know shit man southern miss is uh, southern miss is about as good as you're gonna find in the in the non-power five uh rankings those those guys Mm -hmm. we were down there in 2017 and man those guys can those guys can play
0: yeah it's wild too because They've been kind of bit in the ass by the transfer portal, and have they
1: lost some guy? Or oh, they did? They did lose some guys. They prior. lost. Um,
0: yeah. I think it was Waldrop. Uh, is it Hurston Waldrop? I forget. Okay. Um, he was their big one that they lost to Florida, and that kind of made everyone just go, okay, like, what are <laughs> we doing here? Like, is this portal really good for college baseball? Now,
1: sometimes
0: yeah that's the big bag (laughs) that's the thing is that it can be so beneficial for some kids but as a collective for programs and like you're like we're talking about leveling the playing field a little bit it's like i don't know if it does that (laughs) yeah (laughs) i'm also really curious to see how uh the wave of like older players like subsides and it just turns back to the okay yeah like we have a couple fifth years maybe right it's mostly just gonna
1: go back to being 18 to 22 year olds
0: yes Um, yes you
1: know the the other thing with that is that the draft gets shortened and so the kid that might have gotten drafted out of high school might end up on a campus now and the Mm -hmm. kid that might have gotten drafted as a junior out of college stays on campus and so you're still Mm. going to have a really high level of play within college baseball, but it's, it's definitely going to be different as some of these 23 and 24 year olds matriculate out and, you Mm. know, find their way into the real world or into independent ball. And, you know, it's uh, yeah.
0: Indie ball, I got to imagine is super competitive, but um, what about, I'm trying to think of um, some guys that have been drafted from high academic institutions. I'm thinking, Who's Matthews at Stanford? I think he won. It was you know probably a high draft prospect last year, but went back and stayed right. for his senior year. Do you guys yep. see any of that? Uh, is that common with your program for guys to depend. not leave after their junior year because they want to finish out that degree?
1: I would say for us, you know, at Columbia, if yeah, we, we've been fortunate to develop some guys and and help them go on and and play professionally if a guy gets his name called as a junior, he's probably going to go. Um, yeah. We had a kid in 2016 get drafted in the 16th round. I want to say by the tigers um, will Savage and, mm-hmm. you know, will was a really, really good college player. You know, the pro game as it was evolving at that time, didn't suit will's game super well. And so he decided, you know, to go and and to take the opportunity because, for us, we want to recruit guys who want to play professionally. We want to recruit guys yeah. whose goal is to go and play at the highest level they can. And mm-hmm. Columbia university will always be there. Like Columbia university, the degree itself will always be there. You can mm-hmm. always go back to it. You know, we had a kid drafted just before my time there uh, just before my time here at Columbia in mm-hmm. Dario Tisano, who drafted in the 14th round by the Mariners. And, you know, Signed immediately, like as a, as a junior, um, came back that fall, took classes, left after that term, went to spring training, played the year, and then came back in the fall and finished his degree and, you mm-hmm. know, will do a similar thing, you know, and, and I think guys having the opportunity to go and chase that dream of being professional baseball players of being able to try to go and play at the highest level that they can, like as a coaching staff, we encourage them to go you know, it's like, Hey man, we'd love to have you back. Obviously like we want our guys to be with us, especially if they're good enough to be drafted as a junior, they're probably pretty good, but yeah, we want them to chase their dream. We want them to go and pursue what brought them here because part of our recruiting, part of our uh, pitch, if you will, to a family is like, Hey, we're going to develop you. We're going to make you a better player. We're going to try to help you be as good as you can be. And Mm -hmm. If that means that you get drafted as a junior, well, then we look awesome. Like we as a coaching staff are like, yeah, this is great. You know, this this kid's going representing our program and you know, all, all that good stuff.
0: Yeah, it's definitely some good PR, that's for sure. And yeah, one of the like really important things in college baseball now is RPI, or and I know it's getting so much flack from the recent like <laughs> selection show or whatever. Sure. But for you guys, having to schedule out of conference opponents is so crucial for that. And then also for your players to just get exposure against some really high level competition. So, yeah. and you guys, you guys scheduled some crazy opponents this year out of conference. It ain't going to
1: get easier next year. I just, I just took a look at our 2024 schedule yesterday. Okay. Uh,
0: yeah. I mean, you have Duke wait. on
1: there. We got Florida. We're we're going to have some big boys next year also, which is I exciting.
0: Think, yeah. Want, there's like seven tournament teams right here. And a couple super teams. I mean, this is. Yeah.
1: That's the goal. Um, we. Yeah. Wow. Going back to the recruiting pitch, you know, we talk with families and we talk with players about having the best experience here. And mm. part of that experience is going and playing in different places, playing in different environments. You know, this year, going and playing at Alabama, going and playing mm. at EPA. Um, you know, getting a chance to look at what a power five program looks like and seeing that we can compete with those guys, seeing that we can play at a really high level, whether that means, you know, Hey, our first weekend out, we played two very close games with UVA, you know, the mm-hmm. Sunday game got away from us in the eighth inning, but we were zero, zero going into the eighth. Um, yeah, you know, or going down to Alabama and taking two out of three. Uh, and that was our first program series win, you know, against an sec opponent, uh, mm-hmm. in, program history which is pretty amazing but having the chance to go and play in those environments and you know our goal every year is to play a top 25 top 50 kind of rpi schedule you know non-conference early Mm -hmm. schedule part of it is because we want to give our guys a great experience and have them see these cool environments and and all that kind of stuff and part of it frankly is we want to see how good we are we want to see Mm
0: -hmm.
1: we can go and compete at that level and we want to see if we can't where are we deficient? Where are we mm. getting exposed? Yeah. Because that means we get to work on it. And by the time we get to Ivy League play, the hope is that we have made the necessary adjustments. We've done the things that we need to do to get better at that stuff mm-hmm. and to be ready to go and compete and, and win an Ivy League championship. Because as great as our RPI is, you know, this year, like our non conference RPI, I think was in the top 20. Um, really? our non-conference RPI. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's, um, you know, impressive. we also
1: understand that our path to the postseason is through winning the Ivy league. It's through winning the Ivy yeah. league championship uh, and, and winning mm-hmm. that at the end of the season. Um, so, you know, it's, it's cool to go to those places and it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, this year, you know, UNCW was a really, really good team and, and getting to compete with them and figure out what we need to do better. And, you know, same with UVA and, and Alabama, you know, we went in when Tulane wasn't going good, but they, they took two out of three from us and did some really positive stuff. And, you know, again, more opportunities for us to learn, you know, playing Troy on a midweek, like, yeah, those guys are really good. How, how are we going to go out and with them? And, you know, we went out and, and won that game on, on the Tuesday of spring break. And, you know, mm-hmm. it was something where like, we got a really great effort from our bullpen and we did enough offensively to to have some success.
0: So what was it this year uh, or at least like, can you give me like one um, specific meeting in these like out of conference, these strong out of conference opponents where you're like, okay, I think this is the thing that we've got to work on with our team and make the adjustment. And then I think we'll really mesh or click from there if we can make this adjustment.
1: Sure. You know, there there are a couple um, and, and some of okay. them are like bigger picture approach things. Um, you know, there'll be times mm. where we're facing a guy who is just devouring us with two strikes and we're, we're chasing below the zone. And we talk with our hitters about having a bit more trust, having a little bit more faith that, Hey, we're not going to get destroyed on the inner third late. Uh, let's do a better mm-hmm. job of letting the ball travel a little bit and, and making an adjustment there. Um, and it's it, sometimes it's a personnel move, you know, this year early on uh, we had a kid starting at third base and he had a, a tough weekend defensively. We ended up flipping him and our first baseman uh, first baseman was coming back from a knee issue and he slid over to third and ended up playing some really good defense. And and the other kid who, you know, sophomore had a great freshman year for us just continued mm. to, hit. you know, he kept putting together yeah. great at bats and he was unfazed by the positional switch. And so making a personnel shift there or, you know, figuring out what our starting pitching is going to look like, you know, mm. the three guys you start your season within the rotation are very rarely, the guys that you finish the season, you know, in the rotation. And some of that can be due to injury. Some of that can be due to performance stuff. Some of it can just be who's better suited for certain roles. Um, you Mm -hmm. know, who's going to be able to provide us with the best use of them in leverage spots. And how do we best, you know, get, how do we get the most out of guys, um, weekend to weekend basis.
0: So is the flexibility, uh, of a player or of players on your team, like something you guys push for and train for?
1: We try to, um, the positional flexibility is huge, you know, on, on yeah. the positional side specifically, mm-hmm. you know, I think pitchers understand that they're there to get outs, whether you get to start the game, whether you're coming in the middle innings, you know, be a yeah. guy that just get, gets outs. If you, a guy that gets outs, you're going to get a ton of opportunities at our program. Uh, that's really good coaching on my end. Um <laughs> You know, on the positional side, being able to move guys around, being able to do some different stuff with guys means that our recruiting classes can get more robust. We only recruit eight guys a year. We recruit four pitchers, four position players. Okay. If we recruit a guy that's just a first baseman, man, the bar is so high for that bat because there's going to be limited value in what that guy can bring to us defensively. Um, but I, I think about our team this year, you know, we have a, a guy who started at first base uh, as the season went on. Griff Palfrey came mm-hmm. in as an infielder, right-handed pitcher. He was our starting second baseman in 2022 to begin the year. Okay. Started second base, ended up being our closer in the second half of the year. Uh, and then we slid into first base because of some injury stuff this year. And he was a lights-out first baseman. But again, that flexibility, that ability to move pieces around. Um, Anton Lazitz, who started at third base for us as a freshman every day, played mm-hmm. every game as a freshman at third base, started there this year, ended up being our first baseman when Griff pitched. And then at the end of the year when we were dealing with some injury stuff, he went out and played the outfield and was really good out there. Huh. Uh, it's it's a that That flexibility is huge because of our recruiting restrictions, yeah. And also just the reality of if you hit, you're going to play. And if, Dude, you're really, yeah. if you're really flexible positionally, you're giving us more options and more opportunities to get your bat in the lineup. So mm-hmm. like Anton Lazit is is going to play almost every day, as long mm-hmm. as he keeps hitting, because when he steps in the batter's box, he's really, really gifted. Um, yeah. You know, and if that means that we play him at first base, in game one of a series and left field in game two. And then first base again in game three, or, you know, he played center field in a game for us at towards the end of the season. You know, there, there's a ton of, there's a ton of value in that flexibility for us. And that's Mm -hmm. something that we try to really harp on in recruiting. You know, there aren't many positions look at and say, yeah, if you can only play one position, it's fine. You know, there's basically one and it's the guy that squats behind home plate. Yeah. You know, we, we expect our outfielders to be able to move around and play all three, we expect our infielders to be able to make plays wherever we put them on the infield. Um, Hmm. And, you know, some of our infielders, like I said, might, might go out and become outfielders and and be able to help us that way because they can hit.
0: Dude. And I've, I've been preaching this, but I like that you said, like, I like how you said this. If a guy hits, he's going to be in the lineup. Okay. In my experience, just I mean, call a jam pro. The amount of guys I've seen have to switch positions and stuff because they want to keep them in the lineup and get at bats. yep, it's like <laughs> why would why would you not push or I guess it's kind of nice because if you're a player right now who's playing the not ideal position, it's like, okay, but if you hit, you're getting recruited, okay right. <laughs> like you're right. gonna you're gonna get interest if you can hit. So there are, you know, there are, there
1: are two positions on the field. When we go through the recruiting process um, you know, we're looking at guys and and we're evaluating if it's a shortstop or a catcher. Um, If they play mm -hmm. lights out defense, I don't care if they hit a buck 90 does not matter like Mm -hmm. a catcher specifically, but you know, for a shortstop, like we had a kid 2019 grad uh, Joe angle, who had to learn how to hit. He had to figure some stuff out. And he ended up having a pretty good career for us, but he started Hmm. as a freshman right away because he could dance with it at shortstop. Like he was really good, just a gifted defender. And you know, that kid was going to play every day, partially because we wanted him to get that developmental time. And we wanted him, we, we saw a future where Joe was going to hit, but also because like when you have a lockdown defender in the middle of the field, It makes everybody better. It makes everyone better.
0: Oh, yeah. That is so true. Oh, my God. Okay, wait. So besides the, the ability portion of it, let's talk about the makeup. Because obviously, you guys, like we're talking about before we started recording, the amount of due diligence you have to do on the recruits. I mean, I know it's extensive, and I want to dive into that. But first, I want to talk about that makeup piece of it in terms of how you communicate with them. like just what you're trying to what you're trying to get out of the player that you're recruiting i mean i know it starts with phone calls and obviously you guys have such a narrow selection of players um when it comes to like who you recruit but yeah what's what's the because every again every coach has a style what's like the style that you guys are looking for what's the what's the is there is there a type that you're looking for
1: Yeah. It's probably everybody else's type too. Uh, You know, we're, we're looking for guys that are really, really tough guys that are willing to fail and learn from that failure. Um, And, and I guess if you want to use the buzzword, have some grit. um, That's really important to us because the reality is is that when you get to the college level playing and academically at a place like Columbia, you're going to struggle. You know, we're going to ask you to do some different stuff from a baseball standpoint. and you're going to have a hard time with that because it's new. And because it's going to be asking you to do something that you've never done before. And if we're not asking you to do that, we're not doing our job. Um, So, Mm. you know, that's really important to us. And, you know, academically, it's hard. Um, So finding guys that, that have some grit, finding guys that have some toughness to them, finding guys that want to be baseball players, um, finding Mm. rats, like that's hard to do at our place because of the academics, because of the allure that our place has for guys that are really good students. And they are also great players, but they're coming to Columbia or they want to go to Columbia because of the education.
0: Yeah.
1: we have had the most success. And when we have been at our best and the best players that we've ever recruited are guys that come to Columbia because they believe in the vision of coach Baretti, They believe in the ability of us as a staff to make them great baseball players to help them become champions on the field, and, oh, yeah, as a backup plan, I have a Columbia degree.
0: Mm, okay. See, that always like made me curious with the academic sort of um what do you call it? it's I mean, it's a like a baseline that you guys have to have. it's a it's a minimum requirement for these for these players. <laughs> depends Is how good it, a hitter they are. Yeah. I was going to ask, is, is there a, is there a minimum? Is it like, is there a defined cutoff line? I mean, is it very gray? I mean, what's that look like? And then also not everyone's high school GPA is really the same either, because obviously some are, you know, really prestigious private high schools probably that are ranked super high. And then others right. are at, you know, some frankly, just easy public schools. I mean, right. like, so tell so me, can you is, tell me about a that? Lot
1: of- there's a lot more gray area than anything else um we are test optional now which has only created more gray area because our admissions folks look at the transcript now and wait test optional yeah
0: okay yeah didn't know about that is there a reason for that or how new is that
1: kids out there don't waste a saturday sitting for the sat (laughs) yeah Uh, The guidance counselors all all across the country just shuddered and I don't know why.
0: Yeah. Uh, Oh, wow. Okay. So the
1: the way that it works for us and and what we need to do is to find kids who have challenged themselves academically. The most important thing that our admissions folks want to see from our perspective student athletes is taking challenging classes. So if Mm -hmm. you're a sophomore taking two or three honors classes... And then in your junior year, you have two honors classes and an AP or two. Um, and then continuing that trend in your senior year, you're going to have, you know, maybe two honors classes and two APs. And, you know, that puts you in that range, as long as you're getting good grades, you know, you, you still need to perform. Um, and that kind of goes back to what you were asking about as far as not every high school 4.0 is created equal. You know, if you yeah. have a 4.0 and the most challenging class you're taking is woodworking, it might not work for us, but if you have an unweighted 4.0 and you have all honors as a sophomore, two or three honors as a junior with an AP, two honors, as a, I'm sorry, yeah, as a junior, and then two honors as a senior with two APs, like that's a guy from an academic standpoint. Yeah. That, that's a gonna a it, it It's someone that is going to be a fit for what we can recruit. Um, okay. I'm not legally allowed to say
0: lock. Uh- <laughs> oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, that was very Leave bad. that in. I love it. Leave yeah. it in. For um, me it's a lock. I t- Yeah, I'd exactly. It. Yeah, but, not that know, it carries any weight.
1: And that but that's also where getting back to the recruiting piece and the makeup piece. We want to recruit guys who do very well in school, who strive to be the best version of themselves in the classroom but also on the field. Yeah. And who understand that they need to do one to be able to do the other here at Columbia. Um hmm. and that's where, you know, when I have outreach to summer coaches, there are some summer coaches out there who don't know their guys' grades. And you know, when I ask about academics, they're like, ah, you know, I'm not sure. I think that you know, seems pretty smart. That doesn't help me. Um, you know, yeah, I, I think,
0: seem smart. I'm yeah. not going to Columbia.
1: <laughs> Whereas, you know, when just as an example, like when we are on the West Coast, we reach out to certain guys and we have tried reach out to certain organizations.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: i know a gbg coach is going to know gpas yeah. i know that john elliott with quakes is going to know who his academic guys are i mm-hmm. know that the thick brothers with this with the socal giants are going to know who their academic guys are mm-hmm. uh, sometimes like i need to pull names out of them because they think too highly of us academically like mm. that kid with three seven they're like oh, i'm not sure he's for you well he just hit a ball over the right center field fence let's see if he's for us yeah. You know, let, let's find out academically if he's for us. Um, hmm. but that's, that's a good thing. And, you know, those guys, and, and that's just a couple examples. There are tons of guys out there that do it really, really well. But, okay, you know, being able to communicate with summer coaches effectively, getting the GPAs, having an understanding of kids that are pretty academic. And, you know, from a makeup standpoint, guys that are just just grinders about the game. Um, Mm. you know, I I think back on our best guys, you know, we have a shortstop who's graduated, who just graduated, you know, he's the Ivy league player of the year and he's just a baseball rat. Like he just loves being Mm. around. He would rather play baseball than do anything else in the world. Um, going back a couple of years, you know, in 2021, we graduated a kid, Josh Nikoloff who Mm -hmm. Santa Margarita high school, um, as, as on Columbia as you get as a kid. And I say that in the most loving and admiring way possible. Um, yeah. But Nico got a Columbia degree and, you know, ended up playing his fifth year of baseball at K state and having a good experience and, you know, being a dude, Um, you know, that's the kind of guy we want to get, you know, if, if we could have a team full of Andy Blake's and Josh Nikoloff's, we'd, we'd probably be okay.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, <laughs> I saw the, I saw Andy Blake's stats this year. I was like, oh my gosh, I mean, yeah. <sighs> Wait, so is is he going somewhere? Or is he in junior year, senior? He
1: he just graduated. He yeah, is he going okay. to Duke in the fall to play for Coach Pollard. That's right.
0: Dang. Columbia and Duke. Oh, wow. yeah, he's doing okay. He's he's setting himself up so well. <laughs> which is and, crazy. You know, we, we we hope he gets
1: drafted. Um, I'm mm-hmm. not sure what the profile looks like at the pro level. You know, he's a six foot four rangy shortstop, um, who can really, really hit, but you know arm strength and some other things like you know how good does he run whatever blah 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 oh no he doesn't get drafted he gets to go get a, a graduate degree at duke and you know have a chance to go play in a regional and potentially a super regional
0: yeah oh well right Yeah, exactly <sighs> and he can hit that's the big thing guys if you can, he can hit, hit. <laughs> no but it but setting yourself up like that is just so it's so important i i would love for more kids to just like really commit to the academic side of it. Cause now, I mean, well, not now it's always been a thing, but it's becoming more and more popular to see, Oh, this Ivy league trans graduate is going to this power five. And then he does well. And it's like, yeah,
1: that's that's another piece of the puzzle where I think the new recruiting rules are actually going to help us, you know, kids who finish their sophomore year and have straight A's and maybe took some honors classes That kid might have committed to a good mid-major during his sophomore year, Mm -hmm. years ago. Now, that kid's available. We've maybe seen him. We've reached out to the summer coach and just said, hey, just so you know, like we might have some interest. That kid's family gets to start the wheels turning like, Columbia, that's going to change your life. Oh, yeah. Now we're in the mix for a guy who a year ago might have been committed, might have been off the board.
0: Mm, yeah, that's our I
1: hope I, I could be totally wrong
0: but. no i i didn't think about that i would say that has to become more of a common occurrence i, I mean so. yeah that rule that rule is game-changing it's like, awesome it's insane how <laughs> well how needed it was in the first place yeah obviously but yeah so i mean does, but that doesn't change your guys recruiting timeline so much because obviously you guys need a Healthy amount of uh, transcripts, and you know, to even approach yeah. a player, I would assume.
1: So we've never really been huge on the early, early stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You know, with that being said, like this past year, we got a commitment uh, from a kid going into August of his junior year. So he was about to start his junior year. Uh, big okay. right hand out of Florida. That's probably the earliest one we've ever gotten. Uh, but wow, you know, yeah. we saw him a couple times in the summer. He came to a camp, saw campus, loves New York City, uh, all the classes check out. Like he's taking the right stuff. Um, you know, we have been recruiting a year ahead for a while. You know, we we've been working on this twenty uh, you know twenty twenty four class. We've been working on since last summer. Um, starting okay. to talk with guys and and get names and be in contact. The only thing that really changes now is that my phone rings a little bit less. Like we're, we're doing a little bit less of the talking on the phone with guys, which is fine because we can pick up with those 25s August 1st. And mm-hmm. the guys that are going to be in our wheelhouse, the guys that are, the guys that we think, you know, we hope that we are going to be able to have access to from a recruiting standpoint, they're going to be on the board. And so if they're really serious about it, you know, if we do our job and go out and see them and evaluate them and, you know, they're they're going to be there and it's just up to us
0: yeah i th- I feel like it would be so useful for you guys to have um like a like a portal, you know, like a website that has just like a list of all these players that would be just academically eligible for you guys because, again, the pool is so small.
1: it would be extraordinarily helpful and level the playing field in the Ivy League a lot. So I don't want to do that. I'd rather just keep sending text messages out to summer coaches,
0: <laughs> yeah. I guess it yeah okay, that's <laughs> that is fair. That is fair because. <laughs> I'm trying to conceptualize how little the actual like pool is for the high academic guys. I mean, cause at a tournament, you know, let's say it's a major tournament. I'm trying to think of the name of one, maybe like junior Olympics or like World War bat. I mean, WWBA. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. So just as an example, last summer, going to the WWBA, we had a list, and this is a combination of guys that we knew about and had had contact with guys that had been recommended to us by summer coaches and guys who had emailed us just cold emailed us and sent us like hey i play for xyz team i'm going to be at the wwba here's my schedule um yeah it was probably about 150 to 200 kids long okay so it's a it's an extensive list you know there, there's the barrier for entry for most kids is not the academics the barrier for hmm. entry for us for most kids is are you good enough Mm. more often than not the answer is no Uh, more often (laughs) than not you know the the kid is you know it doesn't mean he's a bad player it just means that maybe it's not what we're looking for maybe we've already filled the position if it's something that's a little more specific um Mm -hmm. you know they might not they just might not be a fit for our program um yeah you know the list that the list that we were talking about earlier that i have my tabs open with like i have I have seventy, eighty names for three or four days of recruiting. Now, granted, I'm not going to see all those guys. um you can't but, yeah, yeah, you can't be everywhere, but getting yeah. those names and you know, gathering some names for twenty fives and being able to run those guys through and look looked up look up their video or just get them into our recruiting database and send them information, whatever the case may be. But yeah, you know, that's kind of how the process starts,
0: and your guys, um class size like you were talking about I don't know if we were recording at this point when we were talking about it but you said it's so small it's four position players four pitchers if I'm yeah you know if I'm right on that but that would make me want to be very choosy very picky with each class so is there um well not is there but how extensive is that um that process of really getting to know the seriously potential like, um, guys to fill that class.
1: You have to, um, I was talking earlier about the makeup piece and that's sort of how we figure that out. Whether it's through talking with the kid on the phone, talking with the high school coach, talking with the summer coach, the last piece of the puzzle is always going to be the campus visit. We don't offer guys until they come and visit campus. Um, other schools that bring in more guys sometimes have the ability to do that. Um, because they
0: shouldn't though they really shouldn't either
1: but you know for us Mm -hmm. coach Baretti, one of his superpowers i think is being able to sit down with a kid in a family and go yeah that kid can play for us that that kid has some of whatever it is we look for the it factor of what we look for yeah to, to be able to play for us and help us um, now, you know, sometimes we miss on ability, every program does, but we don't miss on makeup a ton. So, you know, there have been times where a guy has been like, yeah, he's a, he's a good player. You know, he might not be very top of the list, but he's in the top five or six of guys that we're looking at in a position and he comes to campus and, you know, it can go a couple different ways, but like, sometimes mm-hmm. it'll happen where like coach will leave the meeting and we'll say bye to the family and everything. And I'll come back upstairs and how'd that go? Probably not for us. Um, but there have Mm. been other times where (laughs) this happens more often than you know than you'd think. Like Coach Brady will walk back down the hallway with the family, and you know, I'll come out of my office and I'll see everyone shaking hands, and the kid will say, Yeah, I'm just really excited about this. We just offered that kid because coach has like a really good read on the kid. We've seen him play a good bit, like. You know, and, and we don't offer that kid to pressure him. We don't offer that kid to say, hey, you need to make a decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we offer that kid because we think he's the right fit and that they as a family are the right fit for us. And the great part about it is like, if the kid feels that same connection, if the kid says, yeah, I want to play for you, you know, it's talking to Coach Baretti, and, you know, it's a, a specific style and, and it's hard-nosed and it's, it's going to be challenging. Like when we find kids that are excited about that, like yeah, like let, yeah. let's go. Yeah,
0: you you guys you guys are probably lighting up right there. You guys are like, yes, oh my gosh, exactly. please. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, and the nice thing too is that you guys can recruit the older players. Like that's that's who you're offering. You're offering older players, guys who so, are go, you know
1: in there or going into their junior and senior years of high school.
0: Yeah. So they're more sure of it for sure. They're just yeah, more I sure. Think
1: they, they have a better idea. There's a little bit more maturity. I don't want to say that a 17-year-old is mature, but I think there might be more maturity, uh, which is a good yeah. thing. Yeah. Offering a 14-year-old is just not something I ever want to be in the business of doing.
0: No, it's it's hilarious. <laughs> and I hate to toot my own horn, but when I was offered as a freshman, I was like, why did that just happen? I'm not ready <laughs> for this at all. That was my first thought. I was like, why? Why are you doing it? Yeah. Me? I'm not ready to. Just look. I'm not look, ready I, at all. You mean you mean me? I, yeah, I mean, we can. Uh, that's a different story. I guess yeah. it made sense, but it's like, this is crazy. Like, oh man. Okay, and, wait. You know, so, I, oh no. So no go. Some
1: of it is. Some of it is keeping up with the Joneses. You know, certain programs at the higher level, you know, within a Power Five conference, feel like, hey, you know, those guys over there are doing it, and and you know, they had a really good year, and they had these classes coming in, and you know, man, this kid's good. Like we like them yeah, let's do it, you know, and Mm. it's sort of this self-perpetuating thing, which sucks, you know, it's not, I don't think it's good, which is, you know, going back to our conversation about the rules, I think that's where the rules are going to be a big positive, you know, it's going to give coaches a little bit of time to take a deep breath and actually evaluate players, and it's going to give families an opportunity to evaluate all their options, which is great, Mm -hmm. because, you know, there are going to be a lot more options out there for them.
0: You're talking about evaluating players, and now I'm very curious as to how you like to evaluate players specifically on the tech side of things, because technology has revolutionized baseball. Sure. I mean, it is taking it by storm and some people, they're just so in love with the data and the numbers and the release angles and uh, vertical breaks, all this stuff, launch <laughs> angle, eggs, everything. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, and there's also some coaches who, you know, they know about that stuff. They trust their eyes, and it also works very well. Where are you on that spectrum?
1: Uh, like everything else in life, try to be a shade of gray. Um, okay. You know, we, we are fortunate. We have Trackman um, in our stadium setup. We also have a portable Trackman. During our own camps, when kids are pitching on the mound in, in simulated games, we have the Trackman going. So we have an idea of mm-hmm. what that ball is doing and why certain guys don't. Give up good swings or anything like that.
0: Yeah. um
1: The TrackMan data matters, but let's not you know go crazy about it. You know we have a kid coming yeah, in yeah. twenty three class who is big and strong and throws the absolute shit out of the ball. And his fastball <laughs> metrics are like kind of generic, but okay. at our level of mid major baseball, who cares? It's ninety three. You know, mm. like it doesn't matter. It's just it's hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, So, I think on the pitching side, when we're evaluating guys and we're looking at players, some of that stuff will matter more. You know, if we see a guy who's 87, 88, but he is just all over guys, you know, it it has jump, it has life in the zone. You can't square him up. Like guys swing and miss through fastballs. Mm -hmm. We would like to get data on that kid because he's doing something unique. He's doing something different. Yeah. Um, Doing something different and unique as a pitcher. Like, that's the whole goal, that's the game whether it's you can really, really sink it, you can really, really run it, um, you know. Or I, I should say rise it. Um, yeah. That stuff matters a lot. And, you know, we try to get that information, but we also don't want to, we don't want to let that be the deciding factor. You know, if we go out and we okay, see yeah. great metrics, give up hits or not be able to miss barrels or not be able to get swings and misses with his fastball, like that, that's a problem. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I think on the pitching side, it's a blend of looking at what a guy can do well and how we can coach him, you know, how coach Cardi, Tom, our our pitching coach is going to be able to work with him. You know, is it a guy that maybe is throwing a four-seamer right now, but really has a two-seamer profile or vice versa? Yeah. Yeah. How, how much more can we get out of that guy? How much more can we pull out of his ability Um, Mm -hmm. on the offensive side? I will admit from a recruiting standpoint, we don't really use tech i think Hmm. um there is the the old saying that hitters hit is just so damn true that's all you need you know when when you go out and you see a kid play and he's just on the barrel all the time
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: like i don't care about hits you know hits are a different thing
0: yeah they just happen they're just a result of you can you can bleed
1: a ball up the middle and it's a hit but like we see guys that have some physicality who mm-hmm. move the right way in the box, uh, my favorite word out recruiting is hitterish. If a guy just looks hitterish, mm, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it, that kind of stuff is kind of where we what we prioritize offensively. Mm. Now, again, we have track man within our program, and so we will do weekly or bi weekly measurements of exit velo off the track man, you know, off a moving ball. We don't mm-hmm. ever do T exit Velo. I'm not a huge fan of it. I think it's the most useless thing uh, that can not degree more. Um <laughs> you know, I know a lot of programs utilize BLAST, uh, the bat sensor mm. stuff, and it, it gives you a mm-hmm. lot of the inputs, whereas Trackman gives you all the outputs. And yeah, I think that for me, and, and this is probably just a lack of knowledge on my own part, but I prefer the outputs. And because I think we can reverse engineer some of the stuff, you know, we had a freshman this year who was hitting the ball really hard, but his average launch angle and BP off of a mini hack fastball was like four degrees. So everything was a hard ground ball. Yeah. Which, Hey, it's fine, man. Like you're on top of the ball. Your swing is pretty efficient. You do some good stuff, but how can we coach you to help raise that to maybe 10 to 14, just so now we're hitting line drives like, and and we don't, We don't talk numbers. I don't ever tell a guy, Hey, aim for 14 degree launch angle.
0: That's yeah. Yeah. With your players. That's a good way
1: to screw some smart kids up real fast. Yeah.
0: Your players are going to look into that and be like, okay, wait, hold on, hold on. Yeah, exactly. Eight degrees or nine (laughs) degrees. Yeah. Okay. Hold on. But so that's how I was. Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah, We have this output information that Mm -hmm. says, you know, Hey, we're hitting the ball at, at probably too low an angle. So rather than having the blast info that says, hey, our approach angle is too steep, I can look at the output and just use our eyes and say, hey, hits the ball hard. It's on the ground a lot. And we can go have a conversation with this kid and say, hey, don't do anything different with your swing. Just let your back elbow win the race. Let your back elbow beat your hands to the ball.
0: Yeah, it's like a, all a feel sudden, sort of progression. Yeah.
1: And so we're, we're trying to blend those two things with guys in our program. You know, we have the data, we have access to it. We want to utilize it, Mm. but we don't ever want to be, um, we don't ever want to be subservient to the data because we've, the three of us have been coaching for a long time. You know, I'm, I'm the most junior guy on staff and, you know, Mm. I have this just finished up year 15, which feels crazy. (laughs) Um, you know. We have a lot of experience and being able to blend those two things, being able to blend the technology and the experience kind of, you know, if you want to call it old school, whatever side of things, you know, there's real value there.
0: It's not even old school. It's just feel. It's just, you have feel for the game. You've been around the game. You understand what works. You can see it. I I like to think so. I think most of the time I have decent feel for the game. Well, it's just funny too, because I feel like people are, um, they're seeing this revolution of tech in baseball and they're saying, Oh, the game is changing. And it's like, okay, yeah, but how much, I mean, like, are we going to put a number on how much it's changing? And it's maybe what, like 15%. I mean, like you're, you're, it's not big, you know, like most of the game is pretty much the same. I mean, if you change some of the rules, maybe you should- don't let uh, players <laughs> shift, make the bases bigger. Sure. Like yeah. a couple little things change. You make adjustments, but for the most part, but you you, you, can you go see. back, you go back.
1: Yeah. you You go back 60 years. And my dad's favorite player was Mickey Mantle and Mickey <laughs> yeah. Mantle walked, struck out and hit home runs. And, you know, the greatest hitter I'm ever going to see was Barry Bonds. And what did he do? He walked and hit home runs. He didn't strike out quite as much, but like, yeah. you know, it, it's one of those things where the great players, the guys that are really good at this, mm-hmm. and it you know it translates to the college level also. Like, there are certain things that we can do to be the best version of ourselves, and that's been true throughout all of baseball
0: history. Mm-hmm. And also with, because like with high schoolers going into college, they have that natural progression of just getting more mature, getting mean, just chismer. getting bigger. Yeah, yeah. where <laughs> it's they amazing get- how that works. So so you don't have to be amazing technically or by the data right? to improve a lot once you get there, like once the, you get, or, you know, your first year, honestly, in college. The,
1: the, the easiest thing, the lowest hanging fruit is always going to be strength and conditioning. Yeah. Or are you strong enough? Uh-huh. Um, and if the answer is no, we're really fortunate to have a great strength and conditioning staff, our strength and conditioning coach, uh, Coach Conway. Does a great job with our guys. And like for most of our freshman pitchers, they're not strong enough. They're not physical enough. Yeah. So let's get in the weight room and fix that. So now instead of touching 89, you can sit 88, 89. And like
0: mm-hmm.
1: now we have the ability to work off that and be able to develop some stuff. Yeah. And got stronger.
0: Yeah. And, <sighs> Because you see it so much too. I mean, the kid that comes in and he's struggling in that first year and he's like, what's going on? It's like, dude, like you're just not, you're not on the same level as like these uh, these older guys. You're just you're
1: an 18-year-old kid playing as 22-year-old, 23-year-old men. You know, we were talking earlier about college baseball and some of the older guys filtering out. Like when I was 18, I wasn't ready to face a (laughs) 24-year-old.
0: Oh God, no! I'm trying to think about that. <laughs> oh man, that would be scary. Because I'm, mean, you know, I'm 20, or I, I turned 24 in a couple days, and I'm, I'm
1: pitching against the college freshman right now. You, I, I could have.
0: No, I could. Yeah. So I, so I medically redshirted my freshman year, and then we had the COVID year. So I had two extra years, and I was You're drafted in yeah. 21. So I could have, if I'm healthy, I could have pitched this year for Tulane. Right. Which is you would have seen us. It would have been a fun weekend. Oh yeah, I would have I <laughs> pitched against you. That's for sure. I would have. <laughs> I would have definitely pitched against you guys. And I at every start I would go, What am I doing? Throwing against these kids? Like, this is crazy. Right. I mean you're you're going down the lineup trying
1: to pick out the freshman. Like, yeah, all right, that one's gonna be a little bit easier. You know, yeah. I don't need my a fast spot here.
0: Yeah, I'm like, okay, I can let up a little <laughs> bit on this one. Kind probably just flip a few curveballs in, you know, <laughs> expecting that one.
1: Sliders off the plate, you're gonna be fine.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's so fun. <sighs> it's so funny, too. That's so <laughs> it's exactly like. It's so funny how simple it is to, like, game plan for most teams. I don't know why. It just, at least in college, like, I I found that to be the case. A lot of the hitters seem to be doing a lot of the same stuff. But I don't know. Then again, I understand that, too, because, like, you're, you know, it's if you're going to have a starting pitcher, it's like, okay, there's going to be a way to get him, you know, out of the game or get the hits off him. This is what you look for. Yep. Everyone doing that, that's not a bad thing. But, right, because you want know,
1: to you want to have a diverse offense. You want to be able to have nine guys that don't all look the same. Because when when all nine guys look the same, it gets a lot easier to pitch to them. And yeah, you know, that's where guys having the freedom to do some of the stuff that they want to do and and do some of the stuff that they've had success with. Like you know, as a coach, you don't ever want to take that away. Um, as long as you know it's not detrimental to the player.
0: Yeah. And so I mean for you guys in terms of like your guys style of play and even just like lineup construction I mean is that sort of the the main focus is like hey we're really trying to like throw a bunch of different stuff at at everybody?
1: Um that is not a focus for us in terms of lineup construction but it is a okay. byproduct of the way that we coach. You know, we okay. give our guys a lot of freedom. You know, we don't say that like, Hey, everyone's going to have a leg kick or, you know, Hey, everyone is going to do X, Y, and Z with two strikes. Um, we mm. give guys a little bit more rope and, you know, some of it is also the left, right balance that we look for in our lineup. You know, our mm-hmm. best lineups, our best teams, we've basically been able to break up five right-handers and four left-handers and intersperse them throughout the lineup. Okay. Um, you know, as a pitcher, I'm sure you you yeah. would say that, when those guys are breaking, you know, breaking it up, and you don't ever see two guys from the same side of the plate, it, it can be a little bit more challenging to get comfortable at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think that it creates a little bit of adversity for the guy on the hill, and just having a more diverse, more dynamic offense. You know, a couple of years ago, we mm-hmm. didn't run a whole lot. We were a little bit more station to station, waiting for the double or the home run.
0: And that and, would make me so happy.
1: Right. Um, you know, yeah. in twenty in twenty two. Um, coming out of our two COVID years, one of our goals as an offense, one of our goals to coaching staff with, to work with the offense was to just be more dynamic, to be able to run a little bit more. And some of this plays into recruiting. Like we don't ever want to recruit a bad runner. We also usually don't recruit guys that are like pure burners. We're not going to necessarily recruit a guy that's a six, five runner, um, because that's a hmm. skill might translate at a higher level, um, at a, at a power five school potentially. But you know, if we can have three or four guys in double digits and another couple of guys with six or seven, like all of a sudden you you turn you know you, you blink and you're at 71 bags. Yeah. Uh, you know, in a in a for us, we played 50 games in 22. To steal 71 bags in 50 games while also hitting a ton of doubles and setting a at that point uh, program home run record, like. That's a diverse offense. That's something that we look for. And so that's the other part of it is that, you know, the coaching piece of giving guys freedom to do what they want to do and work within their framework. um, And also, you know, working with guys on the bases and being able to run the bases really, really well creates adversity for pitchers.
0: And there's a reason why so many coaches will drill their teams to death on bunt defense and (laughs) pickoffs and rundowns, because frankly, so many teams are just not good at it. Like so it's, many pitchers are not good at it. it and it's, it's a, the stuff that you screw up. Yeah. It's crazy. And being an offense that can run a little, just a little bit, making the pitcher think a little bit more, have, that there. have, have to pick off five or six exactly. more times for the starter. <laughs> it's like throw one away. And now you got a guy on third, no outs. Exactly. And it's like, Ooh, like that is, that is so important, man. I mean, yeah, I I guess, that's, that's probably something I, I'm seeing, or I'm hearing a lot more of is coaches wanting to recruit that more complete guy and not in the sense that he does everything amazing because then it's like, okay, he's, you know, he's a power five guy or he's, a, all he's an all American yeah guy. He's a draft guy. <laughs> it's like, no, just, you got to just be a ball player. Yeah. Right.
1: Yep. You know, and and I, I think about our starting center fielder, uh, kid Sky Salinsky from Modern Day mm-hmm. out on the West Coast. And yeah, yeah. Um, you know, when when we look at Sky, he doesn't do anything. I don't know if he has a plus tool. Like I don't, you know, I don't know if he does anything like well above average. Mm-hmm. But he does everything very well. He does everything at a very good level. And this year, he was a double digit steals guy as a sophomore starting in center field every day, um, you know, and he's going to be in the right place at the right time. Like he, he knows the game. He knows what's going on. He can pick spots to run. You know, he gets the green light more often than any guy on our team. Hmm. Sky's a six, nine runner. Like sky's a super average runner. Uh, But he's athletic and he, like you were just saying, he's a ball player. He knows how to play the game. And that Hmm. is a huge, huge advantage for us.
0: So what about, um, the guys that, or mm, I guess I should ask what's, what's like the, the most common struggle for, for like newer players. I'm always curious about this. And obviously at your school, it's uh, the academics are going to be tough, but on the baseball side of it, what's like the most common struggle you see in, uh, young players. So freshmen or even sophomores.
1: From a baseball perspective, it's always going to be the speed of the game. Okay. Things happen faster um, yeah. as an infielder. You don't have the luxury of double tapping and taking four steps to get rid of it um, mm-hmm. as a hitter. The stuff is just better. It's going to get on you faster
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: as a pitcher. You can't be a one five, five as a right-hander. Like, yeah, it's not allowed. You can't do that um, because that guy on first base is going to be on second. and It's a whole lot tougher to pitch with a guy on second. That is with a guy on first. So, Helping guys during the fall acclimate to the speed of the game, getting them hmm. on a watch when I'm hitting fungos to our infield, is just getting them on the clock and saying, Hey, that was a four, three, or they take those three or four extra, you know, three steps or four steps, I should say. And Hey, that's a four, six, a huge difference between a four, three and a four, six, yeah. is going to get most guys in a lineup out. A four, six is going to get very few guys in a lineup out. Right, uh, you know getting down the line from contact to, to foot hitting the bag mm-hmm. so helping them acclimate to that making that a coaching focus for us and that's where you know we do drills that are designed to do that and we try to play as much as we can whether that is an inner squad or whether that's a machine pitch or coach pitch game mm. just giving guys a chance to see the game flow and understand how fast things move and what they need to do to make that adjustment
0: mm. And it's the competitive side of it too. Like everyone kind of speeds up a little bit once they get under the lights. Sure. So
1: everything's, everything's going to happen faster when we're in game mode, you know, guys are going to take yeah. better swings in an inner squad than they might in their fifth or sixth round off of me or off of coach Beretti or off a of machine. Yeah. And they're going to take better, hopefully take better at bats on a Friday night at Alabama than they are an inner squad. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, with each progressive step of competition, it gets harder. Um, yeah. but you know, it's something that preparing guys and, and holding guys to a high standard throughout practice is when you get them moving at their best clip. And that's when you see the game as fast as it's moving, it'll slow down for them. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll, it'll go, it'll be easier. And yeah. something that I I took to saying this year, we had a freshman infielder who mm. ended up playing third base for us at the end of the year because of some injury stuff. Yeah, um, really talented kid, and like can really throw it, hits for power, can run a little bit. He's he's going to be a good one, but things would speed up defensively, and like he would just make like stupid mistakes, stuff that does doesn't need to happen, and. Mm in practice like when he would feel the routine ground ball and just throw it across and like make it look really easy i would just shout from the other side of the field let the game be easy when it's going to be easy like we don't need to hmm. make things look harder we don't need to do things faster than we need to do them
0: yeah you
1: need to do things fast the game will present itself and you'll know but hmm. when the game wants it to be easy let it be easy let's not overcomplicate this
0: yeah yeah it's like a God, what's the saying? It's like a player's internal clock almost. That's it, like, that's exactly it. Yeah. It's like uh, it keeps the heartbeat slow, you know.
1: Trying to trying to let guys understand that all right, you just threw that ball across and it was a three nine five. Mm-hmm. We don't need to be a three nine five. There's yeah. no greater glory in being a three nine five than a four-one five. And a four one five mm. allows you to take the extra step. So yeah. now Are we reading the speed of the ball? Are we reading our own positioning and understanding where we are on the field, batter, runner, speed, like all of these things. And by the end of the year, you see it start to click. You see freshmen be like, yeah, I'm going to make this play a little bit easier because it is easier. Yeah. Instead of in the fall when they pick that ball up and they want to go as fast as they possibly can Mm
0: -hmm. because
1: they think they need to. So like, being able to move fast while moving slow. Um, mm. That's hey, my great yeah. philosophical advice for the day. <laughs> but you know, being able to slow things down yeah. while everything is happening very fast around you.
0: Yeah. And also I found or find that players are, you know, a lot more free and easy when they're, you know, around a close team, having fun with the guys and the chemistry is there. Have you found like your better teams are just, closer in general and like do you guys do anything to to kind of I don't want to say manufacture but sort of like get that chemistry right for a team sure
1: yeah uh there's no question that our best teams have been with really tight-knit groups and groups that are, are different in a lot of ways you know we've had some groups that are little bit more serious a little bit more businesslike and you know our 2022 team that made it to a regional final was about as loose as you're gonna find you know that was a hmm. that group was that group was out there a little bit yeah uh, but they all loved each other you know the thing that those teams have in common are our, our very best teams you know I think back to the 2014 team that was the first Ivy League team to ever earn a three seed at a regional um the 2015 team who made it to a regional final and won three games at the Miami regional uh, took Miami to a game seven. Um, The 2022 team that, that, you know, just last year made it to a regional final down at Virginia tech. Mm -hmm. The amount that those guys from senior captains to freshmen who didn't play loved each other and cared about each other and were invested in each other. Yeah. um, Was really special. And something that, you know, it's cool to be around as a coach because it makes your job easier every day coming to work and being able to be around those guys. And um, Hmm. it's just an amazing feeling. Um, You know, as far as helping guys, maybe not create that chemistry, but understand the importance of it. We do something called team building Tuesday. Um, Every Tuesday, every Tuesday in the fall, we lift a little bit later. And That means that with the, with the way the the fall works here, the sun's going down a little bit and all right, Hey, we're done with practice at five 30. We have about an hour before we're able to get into the weight room. We have this little media room uh, put off to the side from our locker room and we go in there and sometimes we'll break up pitchers stay in the, in the locker room and hitters go to the media room and we'll talk sort of X's and O's do some mental game uh, from a hitting standpoint. Um, Hmm. But a lot of the time it is reading a book together or doing exercises together, you know, something that we broke out a couple of years ago that I think is awesome uh, is something called hero, Hardship, and highlight hmm. uh, where we ask guys, we go around the room and we ask guys to sit in the middle of our big circle we put we always align the chairs in a circle so everyone can see each other. yeah, um, you know, who's your hero in your life? What's a hardship that you've been through, and what's a highlight that you have hmm. um and you're asking guys to be vulnerable. You're asking guys to open up to their teammates, to their brothers. And, and the goal is that we're a close enough unit that that kind of interaction is easy for them, but mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it isn't. And and you hear some really authentic um, responses and that's a cool thing uh, because Making an eight or helping an eighteen-year-old be vulnerable with other eighteen-year-old to twenty-two-year-old males. Oh my gosh, the beast, man! It's hard to do. Yeah, um, and I give Coach Baretti a ton of credit because I think that he does a great job of setting a tone within our program. As the leader of our program, he isn't always right, and Coach <laughs> will be the first one to tell you he's not always right, mm-hmm. and you know that gives him the freedom to coach the way he wants to coach because the guys know that we're not going to be perfect and it gives the players the freedom to play loose and to play the way they want to play because we don't expect them to be perfect Mm -hmm. we expect them to play really hard we expect them to play fearlessly but we don't expect them to play perfectly physically like that's impossible that's not how the game works yeah Um, so that hero hardship highlight deal is, is really cool um, you learn some things about some guys, like we get to know guys really well in the recruiting process, but through that, you know, we hear some things about guys that maybe we, we hadn't heard, uh, or maybe that, you know, are a refresher for us as a coaching staff. And, um, you know, the last thing that I think we do well with our program, um, you know, in terms of building that culture, our very first core value is family. And hmm. we talk about love all the time. Um, our guys are not shy about saying that they love each other. Our guys aren't shy about letting each other know how much they care. Um, and sometimes mm. that love manifests itself as being pissed off at each other because that's what brothers do. Uh, yeah. you know, I have an older brother. He's a huge pain in my ass, but I love him. Um, and I yeah. do for him and, you know, I, I look at our program as an extension, you know, that, that family atmosphere is an extension of my own family. It's an extension of coach Boretti's family. It's an extension of coach Cardi's family. Mm. Um, you know, we care about our guys a ton and our guys care about each other. And and I hope about us some more than others, uh, a ton. And, you know, yeah. that's something that I'm really proud to, to be a part of. Um, and it's something that I think gives our guys a deeper connection to our program and to the guys that they get to play with, whether it's they're you know, a senior playing with a freshman for a year, or they're coming in together and playing for four years together.
0: It's the the value of shared experience for sure. I mean, and the vulnerability piece, like you're talking about. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's hard to do. Yeah, you don't you don't want to do it because it's you know you don't know how to be taken. But
1: but if we if we as coaches do a good enough job in creating the right atmosphere, guys will, you know, the older guys will jump right in and, and they want to do it and and you know, they're willing to talk. And that sets the tone for the younger guys to understand that you know, hey, I. this is a place where regardless of what I say, I'm going to be someone who is cared about. I'm going to be someone who is, you know, safe from a level of criticism that you might get from your high school buddies because they're immature and not part of a team and don't necessarily understand it. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think it, it creates that family atmosphere for us. And, and it's, it's a huge reason that we've been successful.
0: And, yeah. And there's such there's such a, just a level of, of like, of ease you can have when you're, you know, part of part of something bigger, you know, like you're talking about like a family, you know? So, wow, that's, that's awesome. I, I wish every team would do something like that. I know that's just not the case. And some are a little bit more like a business, but when you say business, it's like, okay, but you can still be close with your, your coworkers. It's like, come on, come on. Sure. Okay. So are you in uh, are you you're by school right now? You're in New York right now.
1: So I'm actually in River Edge, New Jersey. Ah, uh, that's where my wife okay. and I live. Um, bought a house in December of nineteen. Um, so okay, right before, right before the world ended, we uh, we moved out yeah. of New York. Um, but I, born and raised in New York, from New York City. Uh, I literally grew up a mile south of our main campus. Uh, oh wow! So like working at Columbia is really special to me for more than just the baseball.
0: Yeah. I was going to ask, I got to ask about New York city, Columbia. I mean, the, the draw there it's unique for like recruits and stuff, but for you, what are, what's the, you know, or what are your favorite parts of it?
1: So I think one thing that makes, Columbia really special, you know, for me, and and this is an observation that only coaches who give tours in the middle of January would have, but, you know, you could show up to campus on a Sunday in January to give a tour before school is back in session. And there are always people around, there's always something going on. Um, The campus itself is a really traditional college campus. And you sort of, you sort of forget that you're in the middle of Manhattan. um, But the place always has energy to it um it's mm-hmm. it's never dead and that's a really cool thing that's something that i really appreciate obviously you're you're in the middle of the greatest city in the world you know you're in the middle of everything you know when people graduate college a lot of them talk about wanting to move to new york well our guys are already here our guys are already doing it mm-hmm. and they're getting life experiences they're able to do things that other people couldn't dream about doing in certain college towns Um, And, you know, New York's not going to be for everybody. We understand that. There are plenty of tours that we give where afterwards I jump on the phone with the kid two days later. And he's like, coach, I loved everything you guys said, but man, New York City's really big and it might not be for me. And Hmm. I I get that, like, that's fine. Um, That's why guys come on visits. That's why guys come and, you know, see what we're all about and get a feel for if it's what they want to be a part of. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, I just think, the ability to have a really great social life on campus and have that be sort of your home base, but, you know, be at Madison square garden in 20 minutes and be in little Italy in 40. uh, That's a really special set of circumstances for guys.
0: So was, was it the goal always to coach at Columbia? Was this something you, you know, had uh, in your mind growing up? Did you always want to be a coach just in general? Uh what's that what's that kind of background for you? So I played 4 years of
1: division 3 baseball in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, uh uh-huh. Franklin Marshall, um small division 3 school, great education. That's actually where I met coach Baretti. Uh coach hmm. recruited me and coached me my freshman year at F&M before he took the Columbia job. Um in the summers I'd come home and you know live in New York City and I would work kids camp for coach and just kind of be around um I guess I didn't annoy him enough for him to tell me to, you know, kick rocks. But um, after my senior year, I started a graduate degree. I was a history major in college. I was completely convinced that I was going to be a history teacher. Uh, Both my folks are educators. So Mm. sort of following in, in their footsteps a little bit, you know, maybe coach a little bit of high school baseball. But it wasn't a thing that I was, you know, aiming to do necessarily. And yeah. About halfway through uh, my fall semester of grad school, a former assistant coach of mine who had moved to a different Division III school called me up and was like, "Hey, you know, I know we had talked a little bit about you coaching. I'm not sure how serious you were about it, but you know, we need a pitching coach for this spring. What are you doing?" (laughs) And I'm like, "I don't, I don't know, man. I'm getting a degree." Yeah. (laughs) Um, And it was at that point that I realized. I was going to be way more excited about teaching baseball than I would ever be about teaching history. And yeah, Um, you know, I, I took a shot and I took a job where I made all of zero dollars. Um, The one caveat that I got from my mom when I told her I wanted to take this gig was like, hey, we'll we can help you out a little bit. Uh, and I'm very, re- very fortunate that I had parents that were willing to do that and, you know, willing to help me find a $300 a month apartment living above a pizza place. <laughs> um, but you know, the one thing I had to do is finish my degree. So it, it took me four years to finish a one year degree program. Uh, um, oh. and actually the, the very first day that I got to work at Columbia in June of 2012, uh, mm-hmm. I walked across the street to Teachers College. I collected my diploma that I had earned the previous semester and I went right back to the office and got back to work. Wow. Uh, But (laughs) but, yeah, you know, I I went from Swarthmore College, which is a division three school just outside Philadelphia. Mm I was a coach there in 2009, 2010. Uh, Got to be the volunteer up at Cornell in Mm -hmm. 2011 and 2012. And that's sort of where I realized that this was what I wanted to do. Um, mm. You know, that experience at Cornell was really, really special. It was a great group of guys. Um, the guy that I worked for was awesome. Bill Walkenbach, who's now at Claremont McKenna uh, Division mm-hmm. Three school out in California, uh, gave me a lot of freedom, gave me the ability to work with guys and do stuff and just learn um, that I don't think a lot of other head coaches would have provided a, a young volunteer, Um So, you know, I got to do that. And then June of 2012, right after the regional that we went to, uh, we were lucky enough at Cornell to to win the league in 2012 and went down, played the UNC regional, and I got back and packed up every earthly possession I had in my Jeep, drove to New York City and As every twenty-five-year-old wants to do, move back in with my parents for a couple of months. Started (laughs) my coaching career at Columbia. Um,
0: Oh my god! All
1: all, all throughout, you know, my my folks have been incredibly supportive, and um, I'm lucky to have uh, have them in my corner. And you know, met my wife while I was working at Columbia, and to to meet a woman who is as patient about my hours and the number of phone calls that I have, and um, the amount of time that I spend talking to 16 year old young men. Uh, she is, she is unbelievable. <laughs> so I'm, I, I count myself as very, very fortunate throughout this whole coaching journey.
0: So you lived in a pizza or above a pizza place, above a pizza
1: place. when I worked at Swarthmore. Yeah. Renato's pizza
0: free. Renato's ad. Pizza, <laughs> And that was in Pennsylvania.
1: Yep. That was in Swarthmore, Pennsylvania.
0: Okay. Um, sorry to, what is it? Renato's? Is that what you said? Renato's. Yeah. Renato's. Okay. So Renato's doesn't qualify, but I need to know in your eyes, the best pizza place in New York.
1: So the best pizza in New York, uh, there are, there are two correct answers. One of them is Sal and Carmine's at 103rd and Broadway. Mm -hmm. Uh, Awesome. That was, um, one of my childhood pizza spots can't beat it another place down on 80th and Amsterdam called best in New York. And very hmm. specifically, they do a Sicilian spicy pepperoni slice that will floor you. Um, it is as good as it gets. Whenever I'm down in that area, I will yeah. go there and get a slice. Our former pitching coach, uh Eric Sapli lived down that way. And so whenever soup and I would hang out, uh, inevitably we would find ourselves at best in New York.
0: Mm, yeah. Spicy pepperoni. Spicy that's, pets. that's my kryptonite right there. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Um, You're going to have mean, to find
1: yourself to the East coast and, and come grab a slice.
0: I know. I know. I actually, I, I love cities just in general. So, I mean, I, I will definitely go to both of those pizza places, like whenever Good. I can find myself there. Um, Dan, this is, this is everything I have for you now, now that I'm looking at looking at my deal. But I mean, <laughs> I had to ask about the pizza, by the way. I mean yeah,
1: no, that I, had to any, get that one in. any conversation that I have that doesn't end in a pizza question is not a conversation worth having. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, I love that. That's so great. Oh you you have been a joy, honestly, to talk to. This has been very easy for me, at least to to get to know you, get to know what the program is like. Um, and I think i I hope listeners can take something from this. I mean, geez, like there's a there's a lot to have been said and and we said it. So I mean, <laughs> thank you. Um, thank Absolutely. you for coming on I,
1: I I appreciate the time. I appreciate the opportunity to talk a little bit about college baseball, talk about our program and and talk a little bit about my own journey.
0: so okay, what's what's in the future right now? I know you're going on the recruiting trails. so what's what's the next stop for you right now?
1: Palm beach tomorrow, uh, down in Florida. Yeah. And I'm going to Dallas, Texas next week, uh, come home for a couple of days and then I will be in South Carolina after that first dead period. So
0: geez, oh my! bouncing around,
1: man, bouncing around.
0: That's yeah. That's the life right there. That's just, (laughs) you're just
1: get a lot of Marriott points.
0: Yeah. (laughs) No, it's for real. Oh my gosh. And, (laughs) Wait, so how how long is that period? And this will be my last question. How long is that period again? It's it's like right now, early June-ish to probably what, August maybe? Yeah, so we can be on August? The road pretty
1: much, you know, pretty consistently with a couple of breaks in between until about mid-August. Um, now, okay. I, I won't be on the road that whole time, but a, a lot of it will be spent going out and finding players.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, good luck with that. I know you talked about how many players you're going to be seeing. So, I mean... That's, it sounds honestly very daunting. I, when I think <laughs> about some, trying to do something like that, I, I honestly get secondhand anxiety for you guys. So, I mean, good secondhand luck.
1: Secondhand anxiety beats the firsthand anxiety that I have.
0: So. Yeah. There. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I got other things to worry about, I guess. But <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. Well, Dan, I mean, thank you so much. I mean, again, this has been such a, an easy, you know, just fun conversation to have and
1: happy to do
0: it. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to talk to you really briefly right after we sign off, but that is going to be it for this week's episode of player to prospect. We'll see you next week. Okay. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the player to prospect podcast. If you enjoyed my conversation with Dan Tischler, show some love. It goes a long way. And with that, we will see you next week on the player to prospect podcast.